Hello and welcome to Lockdown Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard McDowell, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at both LockdownWBB and, of course, our full spectrum of women's basketball coverage over at High Post Hoops. We'll recover the game 24-7, 365, but perhaps never quite as excited to do it as we are at this moment, which is the WNBA playoffs, which is heading into a semifinals uh, that promises to be, uh, according to Mel Greenberg, who I spoke to last night uh, and has seen every one of them and many, many other games, as the potentially best semifinals we have ever had. And so I have Ben Dahl here, who's done great work, who you can follow at Split the Post on Twitter, uh, to talk about, we're going to focus primarily uh, on the Phoenix Mercury versus Seattle Storm. And uh, Ben, I, I, I guess the place to start is just how interesting you find this matchup to be, you know, especially comparable to, you know, typical semifinals of the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I told them to give last night. I don't, you know, I think we'll get, I think we'll get good series here in, in both matchups, which is fine. I don't think there should be any area of inevitability that, that teams are just going to bludge in their opponents in these matchups. Um, and you know, you've got to just perspective, you know, you've got Diana Trophy, a Diana Trophy team against the Bird team, which is very exciting. You've got, you know, for, for most people, the likely MVP and Brandon Stewart. And you've got the one seed in Seattle that had this awesome regular season, and now they'll be put by, put to the test by Phoenix, who, you know, they, they seem to have just really figured things out. And they're clicking so well offensively that they just they just look like they're going to be able to score on anybody as much as they want. You know, so I, I had the privilege of covering Diana Tarazi's thirteenth straight without a defeat in her career uh, elimination playoff game uh, last night in Connecticut, uh, Thursday night for those listening on Saturday or Sunday. And so, for me, you know what you said is really significant because they have clicked in a number of ways. To me, it's sort of twofold. You've got, uh, and, and just seeing it in person, it brings an even sharper relief. That trio of Tarazi, of Brittany Griner, uh, and Dewana Bonner, each of them are playing individually as well as I've ever seen them play. And I actually asked Cindy Brandello after the game whether she thought that this was the best uh, that Diana had ever played. And uh, to her mind, uh, this is the best version of Diana Taurasi, which is just insane at age 36. But there's also the fact that collectively the three of them are so in tune with what the others are doing. And so Taurasi is delivering these passes that are arriving before uh, Bonner is, before Griner is arriving at the spot. And she knows where they are going as you know as teammates and the same is true in reverse and so because of that they're getting open looks even on defensive sets where you know let's say the Connecticut Sun had an idea of where the ball was going simply because they were getting to them first Uh, and so I guess when you look at those three do you feel like in essence they have a trio of matchups that are I would say particularly difficult for a Seattle team that doesn't have a true big big 
to be able to face a grinder who doesn't have, uh, you know, let's say that shutdown, uh, off guard defensive option to be able to stay with Tarazi. I mean, you, you know, what? How do you think those three things shake out individually? Yeah, you know that I'm working on something on Natasha Howard, and I think this is such an interesting matchup for them because you know you look through the series, there isn't that there isn't that dominant post score, but then now you've got to go up against Griner, and this was this was all this was hanging over Seattle's entire season, right? They just had no they had no answer to guard any of the bigger centers without just getting totally bulldozed, and Acquiring Howard has paid off so big, and she's been so good. But uh, we're going to see in a series like this where, you know, it, <laughs> Howard gives them athleticism. She can she can run all over the court. She can switch. She can cover a ton of ground. She can block shots. But what's going to happen when you've got Griner with her hands straight up, you know, foot get frosty to feed, like you mentioned, or to post them up, you know, how – how's that really going to play out and how much, how much better will Seattle be, I guess, is a big question against Griner. I, I mean, you, you know, Howard is a fundamentally different and I would argue superior defensive player to uh, John Paul Jones. Uh, you know, no knock on Jones, but just Howard, it's one of her calling cards. Uh, but you could see it even, even last night, even at 6'6", even with, you know, a thicker frame, it is a very difficult thing to do anything to stop Griner, not just because of her size, but because of, you know, what you'd almost call her physical eloquence around the basket. Uh, you know, her, her ability to find where she wants to go, not just uh, some sort of brute physical ability to force her way to get there is something that, uh, you know, is maybe her biggest evolution uh, since she's entered the league. So knowing that and then having... Uh, in Bonner and Tarazi, both the ability, you know, multiple people to be able to uh, enter the ball into where she wants it. And, and, and really, we shouldn't leave out Brian January either, you know, a legitimate point guard in her own right, who's just, you know, this luxury item uh, for Phoenix essentially playing off the ball. It, it really creates a difficulty there. But, you know, I also think let's not ignore what uh, Dewana Bonner means for Seattle defensively. I, I, I mean, do, do you send Brianna Stewart to chase her around the court, and does that uh, end up uh, trying to wear down or starting to wear down Brianna Stewart as well? And if not, how, how would you go about covering her? Yeah, I mean, like, to just go back to the end of the game last night, I think, I think you see the biggest thing that Bonner adds you know, against Dallas, we saw the preposterous thinking in the threes, and throughout the year, she's just been fearless to really pull from really deep in that. And that in itself has value because by now you know she'll shoot those shots. So to some degree, you have to be ready for it. But she's somebody that when a defense forces the ball out of Tarasi's hand, they send an extra body to cover up Griner, or just when she's open, Tarasi's going to throw her the ball. And like when the game's tied at 86, Bonner drives and scores, gets Malay up, and then a couple minutes later, as they start to pull away, um, about a minute later, another drive. I think the second one was that was that finger roll over John Paul Jones, and that element, because she's so tall and so long, like she can do a lot more 
you know, a lot more confident driving in, even if they're center, waiting for the rim there. Not a lot of teams have to, in a way, you know, sometimes their third leading scorer is able to is able to create stuff at the rim for them, which you just really can't put a value on. And I, I wonder, for Seattle, it'll be interesting what they try. I would imagine you. I would want. I would want to start personally with with Stewart on Griner, who I've always I've always really liked mm-hmm. as a one-on-one post defender when she gets to set her feet at, with a long arm. She 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 does well, um, and then and then and trust hard to gonna have to play a little bit more more out on the perimeter and really can, if you contain those drives from Bonner I think that I think that'll be a huge help if you're Seattle so let's let's flip the script a little bit and actually before we do <laughs> we have to touch on Diana Tarazi and the way she's playing right now a positive residual uh, a Twitter account which you absolutely have to be following as well uh, he's done amazing work over there on the WNBA side. Uh, talked, he pointed out that in her two playoff games, her true shooting percentage is 79%. And so, you know, no one has figured out, obviously, how to keep Tarazi from getting looks whenever she wants them. It's the reason why she's made more threes than anyone in the history of this league and has scored more points than anyone in the history of this league. But is there a pathway to slowing her down, is there, you know, is it as simple as sacrificing uh, some Jewel Lloyd there, or do you think it that's essentially the given that Tarazi is the given, and you know you have to figure out ways of slowing down the other two in the big three and trying to limit, say, you know, Stephanie Talbot's uh, looks from three and Brand January's looks from three as well. Well, I mean, I think I mean you have to. You have to take away uh, the chances for Tarasi to just get a ball screen and to use one dribble and hit a three. Like if if you're just gonna see those shots, you're gonna lose. You know there was one in the second half last night where the Mercury coming down in transition, Griner sets her screen and then John Quill Jones is just you know, you know right right smacked out in the middle of a paint and it's like you know you got to be ready for that like that like. Tarasi's going to take that shot every single time that it's there. I think mm. you just, I don't think you want to get into that game where you're giving their best player open twos. I think, it, I think it is very different, you know. I mean, Steph Talbot, you know, I mean, that was an incredible answer from her when she hits that three down the stretch after she was the one that fouled Courtney Williams to mm-hmm. create that four-point play. And don't forget, um, had airballed the previous three. I mean, so to have the confidence to come right yeah. back and take that shot, too. Yeah, so I mean, she's definitely a player. I think you know, if you're going to say, okay, we need to leave somebody open to to help out elsewhere, I think that's I think that's a reason. It's you know, Steph Talbot shooting an open three is different um, than the rest of their players. Um, but you got, I mean, you got to take Tarasi away, being able to take one step and put it up. You know, I don't. Um, you know, a team like Phoenix with. Um, you know, really a wing as big as Dewana Bonner, you might be able to do some switching um, to make things to make things easier without giving Griner just a lane to run to the rim uh, uncontested. But Seattle will have to see because you've got to show you've got to show on Tarasi, and then you know she's big enough 
out of guard that she's just going to find what's there. And I just think you have to hope that you take away enough of Tarasi's easy please. You can't let Granner just get a full head of steam and run to the rim. And then, you know, from there, you just got to you just gotta stay solid. You know, like I was mentioning with, you know, closing out on Bonner, um, you know, January for some, you know, suddenly become this 45% three-point shooter. Um, and then, you know, you take your chances maybe with Talbot uh, or the Ronnie Mitchell or Yvonne Turner when they're in the game. And mm-hmm. you just hope that, you hope that they don't hit you enough that you're able to stay close. It, it's really going to be an interesting thing to see whether there is something that allows Seattle to slow her down. I, I will point out, uh, you go by Synergy's defensive points per possession. Sue Bird, uh, among players with more than 200 possessions, uh, is first in the league uh, defensive points per possession, uh, which is, is a number I really enjoyed. Uh, and as I understand, uh, Sue has really enjoyed it as well. Um, although she was quick to qualify it and point out she isn't always defending uh, the best player on the other team. Well, that that may not be the case when they're playing Seattle uh, to the extent uh, that they do have her uh, on Diana. It would be fun to watch those uh, two old friends go at it. But let's talk about some mismatches on the other side of the ball. Uh, And to me, obviously, Brianna Stewart, is the mismatch of mismatches when it comes to this league. You know, just not not just because she's six five with a seven one wingspan, not just because she's able to score inside and out, but because what Dan seems to do is to play through her uh, in a variety of ways that seem to best suit the point in the game in which he does it. Um, you know, I, I I know this may seem like. A small difference, but I think it's not insignificant that uh, Elena Deladon in Washington seems to uh, choose her best available option, and it seems like Dan deploys Stewie in some in a variety of ways. Uh, in a way, you know, I think that's where you see a difference between uh, between Stewie and Deladon's seasons. I'm not sure which one is right, uh, but it is a difference, and so. Given that, and given that particular change, I wonder what, if anything, Phoenix wants to force them into doing. Because you're gonna, they're gonna play through Stewie no matter what. What's the best way, if you're Phoenix, to have Seattle be playing through Stewie? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's, it's. I'm glad you brought up Deladon because I think, you know, while I. I, I made my case and I agreed that Stewart should be the MVP. So let's let's be clear that I'm not you know I'm not bashing this I'm not bashing her too much. But if you can stack up those two players against each other this season, Deladon's two leading play types are isolation and post ups, where Stewart's as spot ups and as a roller. Mm-hmm. So she's found her success in a very different way, and a lot of that is just being an excellent jump shooter, which of course. There's no, there's no shame in that. Um, I think with the way Phoenix is going to play, where they're only going to have one big on the court, I think they'll be well equipped to chase her around. So I think the key for Phoenix is to not, you know, I would think you don't want to overreact first to the idea of her posting you up. You first want to make sure, you know, when she's rolling, you know, I, I feel like time and time again, all we saw was, you know, Sue Bird in the pick and roll with Stewart, and she would just slide right into the 15 foot wide open jumper. 
and you would start to think of or three and you you know you start to think at some point like you know the other team's got to cover that up and make somebody else hurt them i think stuff like that um i think that stuff is the key and then maybe as the series goes on you maybe start to think more about if she starts hitting them in the post if she gets one of the guards on her and starts to do some damage there because i think i mean i think phoenix can do some stuff you know like as with you know putting Dewana bonner on john Cole jones which i think was a good move to have mm-hmm. Griner sit under the rim i think Griner's going to guard howard and do the same thing and just sit under the rim and then if you do something like you know if you go step talbot on two birds and you put bonner on stewart to start if you just switch a lot of that stuff, you're going to mix a lot of the advantages they get, and you're going to really you're going to really put the onus on them and dare them to say, okay, you know, let's see you. And even January, maybe they'll have her switch on to Stewart mm-hmm. and just really wedge her way underneath her and just say, okay, you know, how many times are you going to score over us? And because with how Phoenix is playing, you know, they score 130 plus points per hundred possessions with this lineup, so it's going to be really tough, I think, um, if if Phoenix takes that approach for Seattle to Seattle to get a lot of the same kind of stuff we saw them get all regular season. It's interesting because both of these teams, uh, you know, Dan uh, speaks all the time about how defense has been uh, a real separator for this team compared to some talented offensive teams that uh, were not obviously the WNBA's elite over the past couple of years. But it's hard to see how either team stops or or really in a significant way slows down the other uh so uh, you know a lot of games in the 90s and the low 100s uh seemed like a real possibility uh, out of here and and then that comes down to you know which team uh in many ways just hit more of its threes uh and with both teams perfectly capable of doing so but it, it certainly uh it it's in a way that I'm sure a one seed uh, with a double buy would prefer it not to be the case uh, is very much an up for grab series. So I, I just I'll, I'll leave you with this uh, on Seattle Phoenix, uh, which seems like perhaps the only key question, the only relevant question in any series in which Diana Taurasi plays, which is, are we going to a game five? You know I. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty big on Phoenix. I'm a little skeptical of Seattle, with mainly with the stuff I mentioned about their offense. I think teams can really can really take away a lot of their easy stuff, hmm. especially with with the with the players Phoenix has at the top of their rotation. Um, you know, at this point, if you know if it doesn't go five, I think that means that Phoenix has won the series early. Wow. Um, and then if it and then if it does, and then if it does, yeah, of course, you know, we we recycle the 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 stat of the the stat of the century about <laughs> about Tarasi fans pretty well in those games. Well, I'm gonna go and uh, probably live to regret this uh, less than 24 hours after seeing uh, what the, they just did and what Diana Tarazi did specifically. But I, I'm gonna pick Seattle in four. I, I think this this Seattle team is just too much, and I think that uh, this is a chance for Brianna Stewart to uh, lay down her marker as 
this generation's Taraji level player. This is someone who I feel like doesn't get enough credit for her winning, which I think is sort of backwards because uh, I think most of the time players get too much credit for team victories rather than their own individual ability to impact those uh, those team victories. But, you know, being on those super teams with uh, Mariah Jefferson and Morgan Tuck, uh, I think it was talked about at UConn like some sort of predestined thing instead of the role that Brianna Stewart played in winning four national championships in four years and four most outstanding players of the final four in four years. Uh, just something truly remarkable. And so uh, at, at some level, it's exciting because we haven't seen that kind of test for her in a what I don't believe will be blowouts, uh, to say the least, uh, seeing what she can do. Uh, we're surrounded by teammates, yes, but uh, as a focal point, late in a WNBA playoff game, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see, and it's a series I'm really looking forward to. Uh, any final thoughts on either of these teams uh, before I let you go? Well, we, we'll, we'll get more into this in the offseason, but because you were there at the game last night, I'm, I want to ask you, you know, with Connecticut, you know, they they uh, they fall at the hands of Mercury in the same round two years in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, no one can doubt the progress they've made and how bright their future looks, especially with John Cole Jones. You know, amazingly, you know, spending so much time coming out coming off the bench last year. I think you def- I think you definitely saw her grow as a player, especially with her passing, which we saw come to play last night, um, and just her overall confidence. But do you? Th- I mean, do you think this team's at a point where they need to shake things up, or do you think they will? I guess that's two different questions because they can essentially just re-sign Jasmine Thomas and they can run this whole team back. Right. No problems. So Kurt talked about it a little bit last night, which I was surprised about, um, but pleasantly surprised that you know they have almost everyone under contract in 2019, and so a lot of that growth could be internal. He did not rule out the possibility of adding a piece. Uh, you know, what's interesting is that I feel like they had, there, there's progress, there's growth, but they had in so many ways the same season, you know, the four seed, uh, the the uh, playoff loss to Phoenix at home, and they faced the same question, which is, what do you do with Sinead Wilmerte, Alyssa Thomas, and John Paul Jones when you essentially have three starters for two spots? Uh, and, uh, you know, ultimately making that decision uh, about whether Shanae is the odd woman out in, in that scenario, simply because AT is such a significant part of what they do at both ends. And John Paul Jones at 6'6 uh, represents this inside-outside matchup nightmare for teams, and also being younger. Uh, as well, and without uh, an injury history uh, to match what Shanae has, you know she is a, a, without a doubt an all-star level performer, and someone who could help any number of teams in this league. If you can make a deal uh, with Shanae uh, involved uh, to bring someone in who is, let's say, a legit three um, at a level that goes beyond even. Uh, Strickland or, you know, uh, moving more than talking to a situation where she is a significant part of the rotation as a backup for, maybe that's something you have to consider. If there's a move that brings them another knockdown shooter 
maybe that's something you have to consider. I, I think it's all on the table, and that's what Kurt was saying last night. Uh, but uh, I think there's an argument to bring this group back and let continuity run its course as well. Yeah, it'll 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 be interesting to see what happens there. Um, and you know, one thing with with AT, you know, I you know this has come up every once in a while reading local papers out there is that you know if she's continued to put off getting surgery on her shoulder, well, I guess on both shoulders now, mm-hmm. and I think that you know that brings you back to the conversation of what it's really like for these players to to feel that pe- to want to go overseas to, to make money that they deserve but I wonder what that would look like well I wonder one if she does finally get it and then two what that would look like on the court for her if she did get that taken care of going into the next season that'll be interesting and and really that's sort of a bigger conversation as well right what what are these players going to do in terms of overseas uh, ahead of what uh, everyone expects to be an opt-out and negotiation over the CBA uh, and, you know, we just saw it right now in the Minnesota Lynch uh, post-season uh, exit interviews where Maya Moore announced that she's going to rest. Uh, Sylvia Fowles uh, is recovering from an elbow injury, and she's not going overseas either. Uh, it, it has redounded to the benefit, certainly, of Diana Taurasi and, uh, and many others who and, have made that the, choice. And the Mystics. Yeah, and and the, most of the players in the top of the Mystics rotation. Absolutely right. Year. Absolutely right. So it, it will be a fascinating thing to see, uh, you know, as always. Well, uh, Ben Dahl, I appreciate, obviously, all the work you do at Typos Hoops, at Silver Screen and Roll. Uh, you know, just your, your Twitter account alone, uh, I think, really pushes the conversation forward about the women's game. So uh, thank you for uh, all of that and look forward to speaking with you. Uh, on in all mediums, audio and uh, typing in the uh, months to come. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the start of the series on Sunday. Sounds good to me.